Navigating the travel world doesn't have to be complicated. Whether you want to hack your points and miles, figure out where to travel next, or you just need advice on an ethical dilemma. I'm Aislinn Green, host of Unpacked by Afar. And in the brand new season, we are unpacking the most captivating and challenging topics in the travel industry, one conversation at a time. Topics like the sexiness of travel insurance and the perils of quote unquote bad tourism, and even the secrets to flying with children and not losing your mind in the process. Listen to Unpacked by Afar wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Hello and welcome to the penultimate episode of Porter Primers. The series is short explainers inspired by The Porter, the fictional series from CBC and BET+. It's based on the real lives of black sleeping car porters in 1920s Montreal. And a major plot point of this first season is the fight to get black porters included in the Railway Employees Union. In this episode of Porter Primers, historian Dr. Dorothy Williams explains how this fight played out in history and how it changed labor laws for all workers in Canada. Look, I know y'all might be scared of what might happen if we try to unionize. But maybe it's time we start thinking about what happens if we don't. If we talk about porters unionizing as a form of their own agency, I think most people don't realize that it took decades for this to happen. When the railway, when the system started to develop, there were many, many jobs on the railways. You could be a switcher, you could be a coalman, you could be a conductor, you could be a waiter, you could be a cook, you could be, you know, a porter. There were just many, many jobs available. And you had blacks in different sectors. You had black conductors, you had white conductors, you had black cooks, you had white cooks, you had... Those jobs were not all racially defined. What happened over time, particularly as Reconstruction in the United States collapsed, and you had the pushback with the emergence of Jim Crow laws, the opportunities shrunk, became more limited even within the railway sector. The fate of the Black Railway employee was sealed in 1907 with the emergence or the formalization of the Canadian Brotherhood of Railway Employees. When that union, which had been going around and getting union people to sign up for the union, blacks and whites, in all kinds of sectors to sign up. What happened on the floor of the that day when the CBRE got together all of their various divisions and their employees, potential union members, they were setting up their constitution and how they're going to interact with these various groups. It was on the floor that they made a decision they didn't want any black people in the CBRE. We have nearly 250 sleeping car porters in Montreal alone. If we were one union, how could this railway do anything less than answer our every demand? I see your point, I just don't see how it involves me. Well, you're head of the union. <laughs> but I didn't write the charter, and the union charter says whites only. Can't you change it? But black men had signed up. They had added their names to the desire to form a union. They were X'd out of that because of the CBRE that day. And so thereafter, 
the white membership took another step and said to the railway companies that they did not want to negotiate with black people beside them. So the railway companies, of course, they love divide and conquer. When you're at a negotiating table, right, and you have like a real united workforce in front of you, and they're demanding this and they're demanding that, you kind of scratch your head because you're not left with too many options as the employer. You either say yes, and you've got a happy workforce, but less profit in your, in your pocket, or you say no, and they go on strike, and now you've got a real problem. It works for the owners of these railway companies when, in fact, you split the workers up between those that you're going to negotiate with and those that you can have full control over. That is what happened with the CBRE. The answer is no, plain and simple. The Negro is an invisible entity on the railroad making labor a white man's fight. As they saw almost immediately where the members of the CBRE who were white could get a week's vacation, the black man got zero. Where the white porter who was working on the same shift as them could get four cents more an hour, the black porter got one cent. And so divide and conquer, of course, puts more profit into the owner of the railway company, split up the labor force, and you had literally decades before the black laborer in the railway companies began to acquire some of the privileges of unionism that the whites had acquired decades earlier. And so it's not until the, that gets fulfilled in 1954 with the signing, the official signing of a union there where blacks were actually included. Along the way, you had different milestones, like in 1921, where blacks were able to create their own division within the CBRE, but the head porter, black porter, would never be at the same class as the head white porter. If I want to get the porters into a union that purposely excludes them, what's the first thing I should do? The great fear of the white worker is that our elevation means their elimination. Management feeds this fear to keep them blind to the power of a unified workforce. So that kind of Jim Crow or labor inequality that existed in the labor market was rife within the railway industry and perpetuated because the white laborers wanted it that way. They saw the black labor force, the man working, they were working with as their, I guess their enemy, certainly not as a co-frere, you know, somebody that's in the labor movement together to tamp out capitalism in, in its worst forms, right? And so they did not see that brotherhood where the black man was included as a brother. Well, I clean up good. Had to. Had an audible. Gonna meet with the Union Congress. Right. Think it's gonna work? We don't gotta be sure about the outcome. Just the goal. You care that much about being a porter? Junior, if I don't stand up to them, that's all I ever be. Black men are talked about black porters being conduit of culture, but they're also conduit of change, political change. 
they took advantage of the fact that some of the travelers that they were associating with, that they got to know, particularly those politicians who were frequent travelers, they get to know them, they get to talk to them over time. It's a great opportunity to begin to talk to them about some of the challenges that you as an employee is having and what needs to be changed in Canada to make me happier, to be more equitable. And I mean, it's not going to change overnight, but politicians faced with these kinds of, you know, scenarios that are put in front of them begin to realize that they should really do some updating about labor laws and about the treatment across the board. And so some of the changes that started to come about in labor laws in the 40s and 50s and 60s were because of the pushing of the porters, advocating, challenging the inequities that were built into the system and allowed to sustain. Porter Primers is produced by Melissa Fundira with mixing by Braden Alexander, Tina Verma is senior producer, and RF Narani is the director of CBC Podcasts. All of the clips that you hear in Porter Primers come from the new original series, The Porter, produced by the CBC and BET+. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.